the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And... Welcome and thanks for once again tuning into this brand new episode of Sake on Air, the world's very first podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue surrounding Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, and as always, I am one of your regular hosts here on this program, and we are once again broadcasting to you from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in the heart of Tokyo. You know, there's really no such thing as an inferior region for sake production in Japan. Honestly, you really aren't going to struggle to find great sake being made just about anywhere on the island. However, there are a handful of regions that have been elevated to a particular pedestal. One of those that gets name checked without fail is Niigata. To fully explore the depth and complexity of this exceptional region in a manner that would paint a complete and accurate picture, it would really require a masterclass of epic proportions. Instead of waiting for that to come to fruition, we thought that we'd at least begin laying the groundwork by offering a broad, overarching perspective, followed by a profile of one of the labels that has become nearly synonymous with the region. For the next two episodes, we're joined by Ms. Kaoru Ito and Mr. Hiroshi Nagamoto, both from the Overseas Business Department of Asahi Shuzo Sake Brewing Company, located in central Niigata. You might be more familiar with their iconic brand, Kubota. We start by focusing on the characteristics that make Niigata uniquely equipped to deliver on the promises that come attached with the name. We also look at the elements that have come together to give birth to the style of sake that has become synonymous with the region, Tanrei Karakuchi, and how the future of the regions might actually be better defined by another term, Niigata Tande. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into this first of two episodes examining the world of Niigata. All right, and welcome and thank you everyone once again for tuning into a brand new episode of Sake on Air. We've got a bit of a special series uh, starting this week uh, examining the world of Niigata Sake. Uh, it, Niigata Sake is iconic and recognized throughout the industry and globally, and we'll be joined by uh, Mr. Uh, Hiroshi Nagamoto and Ms. Kaoru Ito uh, from the Overseas Business Department from Asahi Shuzo Sake Brewing Company, uh, located in Niigata, uh, Nag Nagaoka City of Niigata. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be spending some time uh, looking at Niigata Sake, as well as uh, the business and the brand that they have built over the last uh, several decades, uh, Kubota. And so with that, we'll go ahead and get started. And I want to go ahead and introduce our guests really briefly. Uh, to get started here, uh, let's start uh, with Ito-san. Ito-san, how are you doing this morning? Hello, how are you? <laughs> Thank you so bad. much for yeah. having me here. Yeah. And also, I have one of my co-workers, Mr. Uh, Nagamoto-san. Yeah, Nagamoto-san. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hi. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Nagamoto Hiroji. Excellent. Welcome. Thank you so much to the both of you for making time to, to join us this morning. Uh, let's, Thank you very much. Yeah, let's first just, I, I want to, before we get into, I mean, today we're going to spend some time delving into the background a little bit to give people a little bit of context for uh, not just where Kubota, you know, the brand and that sake, you know, there's a lot to explore just in your brewery and in your, and in your label, um, but want to give people a little bit of background as to exactly where this is coming from in the context of Niigata. So to kind of get us started a little bit, um, first, would you mind just telling us a little bit about uh, Asahi Shuzo? Yes, yes. The hometown of Asahi Shuzo Sake Brewery is in Koshiji area of Nagaoka City, Niigata Prefecture. It's about one and a half hours by bullet train from Tokyo. In 1830, which was the end of Edo era, a small sake brewery was born in the village that was once called Asahi Village in the present location. The trade name was Kubotaya, which was our origin. Kubotaya was family operated. Kubotaya went through the period of great change from the end of the Edo to the Meiji era and dedicated to sake brewery. We released Asahi Yama as the 
original sake brand. Kubotaya incorporated and changed its name to Asahi Shuto Sake Brewery in 1928. The Hilazawa family managed the brewery till the fifth generation. The current president is the sixth, whose name is Yasushi Hosoda. Our current main brand, Kubota, was born in 1985. And uh, Toru Hilazawa, the fourth president, leads a small local brewery to develop a new sake that responds to the change of time. And uh, Kubota has created, who, which was soon welcomed by many customers since then. All of our products are shipped from the Nikata to both domestic and overseas market. Yeah, so we'll, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to learn more about sort of how the Kubota brand came about. But yeah, it, 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 there's this image of it having been around for a really long time. It's so iconic and it's, you know, it proliferates just everywhere. Um, and, and before we get, you know, more into the technical details there, I want to know a little bit of, more about Niigata, uh, just the place, the region, and a little bit about Nagaoka, where you're at as well, too. Can you tell me just a little bit about sort of geographically, what is the region like? Uh, Nagata is the fifth largest prefecture of Japan, directly in north of Tokyo, facing the Sea of Japan. Nagaoka is the second largest city in Niigata Prefecture, and is located in the center of the prefecture, which is famous for rice, sake, ornament, koi fish, the Nishiki koi, and a firework festival. The firework event is pretty huge that it is ranked in top three of firework events in Japan. Unfortunately, the event was canceled for the last two years. Yeah, I guess for, our, yeah, just real quick, I guess for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar, the, the Japanese summer is, um, it's littered with fireworks festivals, right? They're happening all over the country. And Nagaoka is arguably one of the most, I guess, iconic or well-known as being one of the largest that attracts a lot of attention. So yeah, I guess for those who are, who do have the chance to be here in the summer. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have a chance to experience those again soon. You're all welcome. <laughs> Looking at the topography of Nikata Prefecture, the Echiko Mountain Range stretches in the inland area, and the Echiko Plain extends along the coast of the Sea of Japan. In winter, we have so much snow. Nikata is very famous for winter snow, and sometimes it's called snow country. This is because when moisture air from the Sea of Japan collides with the Echiko mountain range, the clouds drop snow at the foot of the mountains. In addition, the Shinano River, which flows north to south through Nagaoka City, is the longest river in Japan. And the river carries out mountain soil and nurtures fertile soil. And the Niigata Prefecture is recognized as a top sake producing region nationwide. So um, why is Nikata? This is because Nikata has inherent four elements that are suitable for sake brewing, which are water, rice, long snow in winter, and the sake brewing technique, including ongoing research and uh, development. Yeah, so those are those are four things I really want to explore a little more here. I'm, I'm excited to hear about that because, I mean, to be honest, right, if you're looking at good water quality, good rice quality, cool winters, decent snowfall, I mean, those are properties that apply to honestly just about everywhere in Japan or even some warmer regions have cooler regions where they have those snowfall. And so I'm, I'm really curious to sort of learn if, if you could sort of elaborate on sort of those four qualities to let us know kind of what makes those unique and specific to the characteristics of Niigata. Okay, uh, let me start from the water. Great. Water is definitely important. As I said, we have so much snow. With the arrival of spring, the large amount of snow becomes clear melt water and slowly permeate the ground. So we have abundant underground water. Asahi Shuzo has been using the water from about 200 years. This underground water is one of the softest waters in Niigata and it's greatly gifted sake brewing water to us. It's our basis since hundreds of years ago. Although this water, rice is also indispensable for sake brewing. Local Niigata rice is widely known as the highest quality rice in Japan. 
climate is one of the factors that makes Niigata local rice quality very good. Since the summer temperature in Niigata is high during the day and low at night, starch produced by photosynthesis during the day and it tends to be accumulated in the rice grain. In addition, the meltwater flowing from the Shinano River not only delivers abundant water, but also carries soil containing the natural ingredients that is necessary for rice cavitation. Therefore, these factors work well for planting high quality rice. And the third is long snowy winter season. Uh, occasionally, there are oftentimes the snow is in around two to four meters deep. And last night, uh, the snow is 30 meters built up. And this can create a good brewing conditions to the brewery. When it's cold, it's difficult for bacteria to grow. And our ideal slow fermentation in low temperature can be conducted, which is necessary to make Jinjiao grape cycle. Also, during this period, the snow wraps around dust and dirt in the air, making it very clean. So it can be said that winter in Niigata is very suitable for sake brewing. In the sake brewing industry, there were grills of sake brewers all over the country called Toji Grill. And the one from Niigata is called Echiko Toji Grill. By the way, the word Echiko means Niigata. Niigata used to be called Echiko province long ago. Echiko Toji is one of the three major Toji grills in Japan. Sake brewing process conducted in Niigata are very complicating and elaborating method. So Echiko Toji dedicated to their breweries and their techniques, which have been taken over to next generations for hundreds of years. In addition, we, there is a Niigata Sake School, which is only one sake school to train the 35 sake brewing specialists in Japan and the Niigata Prefecture Sake Research Institute. Also, we have an academic study course, Sakeology Center in Niigata University, aiming for studying all about sake we are working on for improving the quality of sake throughout the prefecture. And here, uh, Justin Sang, I have two small questions for you. Okay. Do you know how many sake breweries in Japan now and which prefecture has the most sake breweries in Japan? Uh, exactly how many in Japan? I don't know. I have trouble finding anybody who can give me a, a super accurate number, but I'm going to say it's between 12 and 1300, probably somewhere in there for the number of sake breweries. Um, and I know for a fact that the most is in Niigata as far as per prefecture, correct? Uh, yes, currently there are about 1,400 sake okay. breweries nationwide. Okay. And uh, Niigata has a large number of around 90 okay. breweries. Excellent. I believe many people have heard of other famous sake brands, such as Takai-san, Fushi, Hoshino, Kanbai, Gyozen, Mizuno, Kotoshi. We are not large-scale manufacturers. We are more like small local breweries gathering in a competitive area where working hard and competing with each other in pursuit of distinct high-quality sake. Yeah, you touched on a few really important points there. I mean, first, you mentioned that Niigata you know, the snowfall in Niigata was rather unique, but sorry, did you, did you say you had, how, how, how many meters did you say of snow you had when you checked this morning? <laughs> uh, occasionally it will be two to four meters. Okay, wow. Because I mean, so I guess for our listeners, you know, Niigata in general is known for snowfall, but Nagaoka in particular and, and certain areas of Nagaoka, the snowfall is, is pretty exceptional. Is that, would that be accurate? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, even Niigata City, you can go there in the winter and it's cold, but you don't necessarily see a lot of snow, but you can go to Nagaoka and especially some of the, the more inland areas of, Nag of Nagaoka and it's meters upon meters just stacked <laughs> in the winter. Yes, yes. Nagaoka right. is more near to the Echiko Mountain. So there are more snow falling in the winter. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, with the Toji and the Toji guilds, um, this is actually, um, it's a, it's a 
topic we actually get a lot of questions about here on the show. Um, a lot of listeners ask us to talk more about Toji or the Toji system and the Toji guilds. Um, and yes. we actually, we have yet to really go into a lot of detail about that. And so, um, but, you know, having you all on here today and looking at Echigo Toji, I feel like of, of all the places, this is a pretty, pretty decent place to start. So um, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us maybe a little bit about Echigo Toji and sort of the Brewmaster Guild that's associated specifically with Niigata? I mean, it's, as you mentioned, it's one of the the what the top three or or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it's I, I think it's worth spending a little time sort of elaborating on exactly what that is and the role that they played in Niigata Sake. Echigo Toji is one of the major Toji guilds rooted in Niigata in the Molomachi period. From 14th to 15th centuries, sake began to widespread to nationwide. But the Kansai area, such as Kyoto Prefecture, was the main producing region. At that time, sake was brewed throughout the four seasons. And in the 17th century, due to the influence of the shogunate brewing control, kanzukuri, which means to brew sake in winter, it became mainstream. Farmers in Niigata could not work in winter due to the heavy snow. We talk a lot. Uh, but also, they were not rich enough to live without working during the winter. So they would work away from home as a uh, seasonal sake brewer in the famous sake brewing district in Kyoto or Kanto areas for the purpose of cash income as a source of livelihood. I'm not sure when exactly it started, but from a history book, the first record was in 16. 15. Some of them started their own brewing business after being adopted by the owner of the brewery or having them use the same name of a particular brewery. They brought back their experiences to their hometown and the Sakai brewer from Niigata became famous and were recognized as high-skilled workers. This historical background was told from generations to generations. And today, sake brewing itself has been an identity of the Niigata region now. Interesting, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I imagine maybe some of our listeners knows this, but if you look at the, if you study sort of the history of sake, when you get back you know, into times dating more than four or 500 years ago, so much of the focus is on Western Japan, as you mentioned, right? Uh, looking at areas around uh, Hyogo and Nada and Itami and Kyoto and all of those. But then when they introduce major sake producing regions, they continue to introduce those because obviously the production volume is high, the, the skill and yeah. quality is good. But then you get Niigata, which is on the opposite end of the map and doesn't ever come mm -hmm. up in a lot of those, in a lot of the historical discussions. So I think it's it, sometimes for people trying to fill that gap for where's how did we get from the history of it being here and then just having this sort of one dot on the map that's 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 Niigata where they say oh and here's the other this other major producing region um and I guess what you mentioned there sort of that transition to sake becoming um shifting from an annual production to a seasonal production um yes. and having to overcome the challenges not just with figuring out how to do that but you have to figure out how to brew good sake in the winter, whereas in the past that wasn't necessarily a challenge. So I guess that that's something that Niigata and the, the Echigo told you, I guess that's something they really contributed to and, and excelled at, I guess. Yes, yes, exactly. And so then I guess I guess that's part of then how they would influence the style then, right? So how did how did the Toji then really influence the style and you know sort of how is the role of the Toji um, changed over time and how, how does it sort of exist in, in Niigata today? As I mentioned earlier, there were many skilled sake brewers in Niigata and the number of brewers who eventually started their own business increased. In other words, with the growth of Echigo Toji, the sake industry gradually prospered in Niigata. In Italy, the natural environment, including the rice and the clean water and the cultural environment here together 
makes the high quality Niigata sake. However, Niigata sake was not highly valued at the first beginning. Shortly after the war, when people struggled to make ends meet, strong and sweet sake was preferred. On the other side, Niigata sake was lighter taste, so it didn't have outstanding impressions to give. It is said that it was the efforts of the Brewing Industry Association that had further influence on the quality improving and the evaluation gaining of Niigata sake. In 1930, the Niigata Prefectural Sake Research Institute was established after becoming one of the well-known sake producing regions. This is a research and education institute established by Niigata Prefectural Government aimed for improving the quality of sake, training employees in sake industry, and improving sake rice quality. Normally, sake research institute is together with Food Research Institute, but the one in Niigata is only one independent sake institute in Japan, attempting to reach the whole level of basic technology. It is led by Niigata Prefecture Government and the Prefecture Sake Brewer Association, and it had great impact on the quality of Niigata sake later. For example, they conducted research and the proposal of Koji making chamber, the Koji Muro, which is a particular room for making Koji, and the research on temperature controlling during shubo incubation, which were all for improving the quality of Niigata sake back then. Soft water that Niigata sake breweries use may cause fermentation process easily inactive or unstable without great care. Therefore, it requires much more attention compared to the ones in Kansai area that mainly use medium hard water. Under these hard conditions that needed to overcome, the Institute conducted many research about sake production. For Hyaku Mangok rice, which we mainly use for our products and is now the second largest in volume in sake rice following Yamada Nishiki rice. Kohyaku Mangoku rice was jointly developed by Niigata Prefecture Sake Research Institute and the Niigata Agriculture Research Institute Crop Research Center. Not only the development of Kohyaku Mangoku rice, but also they researched specific characteristics of the rice depending on the sake brewing processes and extended to breweries in the prefecture. In addition, Niigata Sake School was established in 1984 by Niigata Sake Brewery Association. This is an organization that trains mid-career brewers to deal with core missions in the future as leader brewers. Also, it was established due to some concern such as aging, and the shortage of koji in sake industry in the future. Long ago, it was said that aged koji would not pass on detailed sake brewing information and techniques they had acquired, or just passing to only a few of brewers, such as successors, but mostly would take it to their graveyard. Do you know why, Justin Sang? Uh, why, why they didn't want to share their skills uh, and their secrets? I guess, I guess it's at the time I'm guessing, I mean, this was before the internet, right? So it was a lot easier to protect information. <laughs> so I guess, you know, by keeping that, by keeping that close, close at hand or sort of keeping that close to home, it, it kept people from either, gosh, I don't know, either it would have been either taking their trade secrets or sharing them with other people or yeah, somehow those, those skills being adopted in other areas where that they couldn't yeah, control. Exactly right. Traditionally, the brewery paid for Toji's technique and they entrust the sake brewing to them. Therefore, if other people acquire the same skill they have, they might not be able to get offer anymore. So the, uh, the association built this school where mid-career brewers and all learn sake brewing 
in order to properly inherit the technology of H4 Toji and uh, continue to make high quality Niigata sake. Asaki Shuzo chooses some of the eligible brewers from our breweries and send them to the school to learn about brewing techniques, brewing management, and marketing in the three years course. By the way, the top student in 2021 was from our brewery. We believe they will become the core of our brewery in the future. Interesting. So you mentioned that you know, they set up the, uh, let's see, what was, what was the official name for it? Yes. Was it what the uh, sake brew was it sake brewing Nigata sake brewing school is that would that yes, be accurate yes. yes name for that yeah uh and where is that located where in Nigata is that located I guess it is in Nigata city right it's in Nigata city I'm curious so yeah, one thing you mentioned there is at that time one of the reasons for doing that was that they could they could see they could essentially see the writing on the wall that the the aging population and the aging toji that that was going to become an issue and that there was a real possibility that a lot of the skill and a lot of the craft actually could be lost and that there weren't going to be enough people able to take over those positions um that's still an issue today right in the industry it's something that a lot of um, places i know are struggling with However, in the early 1980s, actually seeing that and coming up with a proactive solution to try and overcome that issue, I'm curious, has, do you know if in Niigata, if they're having reasonably good success with finding successors and keeping Toji? Is that something that the... Niigata Toji Guild, is that something that they've been relatively successful at, do you know, in relation to other areas? I think the, the sake industry is, is relatively prosperous in Niigata, and uh, we have not so many problems to find successors of brewers here. And uh, I think that's thanks to the Japanese sake boom, especially in the overseas. So. That's, that's not so serious here compared to some other regions in Japan. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I just, yeah, when you mentioned that, I just sort of thought of that. I find that interesting because it's something that just about everywhere talks about as being a, an issue or something that they struggle with. But, you know, having, yeah, having sort of implemented that system so early on and with the success that the region has seen, I'm wondering if, yeah, that was hopefully hopefully if that was the result that was that would be that would be exceptional um moving on a little bit here um the niigata sake i mean is a style it's it's interesting in that out of you know each region around japan has obviously unique um, styles to their sake that are associated with that region or with that brewery. Um, Niigata is probably the most iconic. You know, you have this tandei karakuchi or this, you know, this style of sake that basically is synonymous with Niigata. Um, I'm sort of curious um, if you could maybe elaborate on, on that a little bit and sort of the, if there's a relationship between that and um, and is there the Toji guilds or sort of the nature of um, Niigata sake and sort of how that developed? So uh, I am just curious, like, just as what kind of sake would you imagine yeah. when you hear of Tandei Karakuchi? That's, that's interesting. You know, that's a really good question because, and that's actually a question I feel like should mm. be asked a lot more because everybody says it, but I think everybody's sort of image yeah. of what that is and interpretation might be a little different and it's, it's really undefined, right? Even though it's so common, it's such common language, it's really undefined. And so um, I guess for me, I don't, I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I guess with Tandei Karakuchi, it's, it's less defined by the carrier, the dominant characteristics mm -hmm. that it has. And I feel like it's more characterized by 
it's absence oh. of dominant okay. qualities, yeah. if that makes sense, right? You don't find a really standout acidity. You don't find that really rich umami that's driven from a lot of those complex amino acids. It's not that they're not there. It's not that they're absent, completely absent, but it's more defined by balance in the general absence of a lot of those really standout yeah. qualities, right? Is, is, is sort of my image of of it so which makes it so so kind of difficult to explain in a way right because it's people look for something oh it's it's really sweet or it's really this whereas it doesn't have the specific yeah one true, of those true, dominant true. qualities right yeah. you know so i'm i'm mm. yeah so it's it which, which is part of what makes it exceptional mm. and really mm. really fantastic um but it's 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 a little bit hard to explain so everybody's Absolutely. probably internalizes that yeah. differently. So, yeah, you're right. Um, there is no specific definition of Tande Karakuchi, I, I think. But I guess consumer may imagine a sake with water lighter. So usually the word Tande Karakuchi is used for antonym of Hojun Umakuchi. So we follow these characteristics while responding to our customers and the trend. Yeah, but okay. we never change the essential core of Tandei Karakuchi. So like Kubotes crisp and a no particular flavor and the lightness and the smoothness, it doesn't feel like the number of elaborating techniques behind. A clean and a smooth sake that goes like water. So this is Kubotes characteristic. Um, there is a word, the former president favorite, which is from a classical Chinese text, the Kai Gentan, saying that the true delicacy is not a rich, fatty, spicy, or sweet taste. It is just lightness and simplicity. So this is exactly what Asahi Shuzo thinks of Tandei Karakuchi. So we wish that many people could think that Japanese sake is the easiest alcohol to drink. And we do hope that Kubota will be always your dining table to enjoy with your meals and for your special occasions. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, uh, that's a really good point because it's, it is, in a way, it is challenging to communicate sometimes, right? Because people look for something really easy to latch onto, like it has this certain characteristic. And so, in the absence of those things, it's, it's, it becomes difficult for maybe people to figure out. So, where is, what is what is going on here that's making this you know unique and stand out? Whereas actually the craft yeah. of making a sake like that pande karakuchi like is actually really mm. really hard to make, mm. right? Sure. There's a great deal of you know, and so it's 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 really I, I'm 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 glad we get to talk about this actually because it's is sake styles are really diversifying a lot, and there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of pretty wild stuff happening mm. these days, which is great. It's really, really good. There's fantastic stuff. But I think it's also a good time to kind of step back and say, so what are what are the things that were appreciated before and why are they still celebrated? And so looking at Tandai Karakuchi in that context, I think is really, really, I think the timing is good. Um, is, you know, it's, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, Tandai Karakuchi, it's probably, you know, Niigata is probably the only region in Japan that really has an iconic, like, here is a style that you can associate with this region. How did this come about? Like, where does this come from in Niigata? And then where does Kubota okay. fit into that? Yeah, I think, yeah, the image of Niigata as a place for Tandei Karakuchi Sake has been made considerably. Kushinbi, you know, the very famous sake production district from ancient times and uses medium hot water that contains well-balanced potassium and calcium so that the sake they made is sweet side. And the other famous place called Nada uses also medium hot water that contains a lot of minerals such as phosphorus, calcium, and the potassium. So the taste uh, they make is a, a slightly acidic and rough dry. So compared to those kinds of sake, the water we use is soft water that contains less minerals. So water with a low nutrient tends to make the sake taste refined by proceeding on slow fermentation. In addition to water, gohyaku mangoku rice, 
has the characteristic of making the sake clean and clear. Plus, it is all encouraged by uh, cold temperature and heavy snow in the winter. So all of the factors were interacted well with each other. And finally, it becomes Tandai Kanakashi Sake. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, yeah, the rice does play a significant role there too, right? I guess that your rice was developed alongside of that. And even, you know, breweries from other regions that are using gohyaku mangoku or, you know, yeah. you know my, mostly koshitande and things like that are mostly local, but you find that even breweries that have, that produce much more robust styles, when they choose to use gohyaku mangoku or some of those, you know, niigata developed rices, it's, or, it's usually in order to make, produce something that's a little bit more subdued within their within their lineup and it's really it, it really does play a role and I feel like those are really good for people who are looking into like examining the differences between sake rice I think those are those are some good places to start because um, I think it, it really it comes through pretty clearly in um, both in Niigata breweries as well as other breweries around Japan that are using those rice varieties um, so then I guess does does tande karakuchi does that would you say that that accurately depicts the nature of Niigata style sake? Is that, you know, what are what are sort of the, the challenges to the style and sort of having that strong association? And uh, actually, the one of the advantages for us to use the word Tandei Kalakuchi is that we can inform our product with food so that customers can imagine our product easily. Tandei Kalakuchi sake is the one that doesn't get tired of you can keep drinking because the taste and the aroma are not overwhelming at all. So this is one of the differences from other types of sake like hojun umakuchi, and you can enjoy it itself, but I'd like to say tandai karakuchi sake is a good accompaniment to food. But yes, you're right. Um, the challenging for us to use it is that there are a wide variety of Japanese sake these days, and it is getting much more difficult to categorize only in one way, to be honest, even though Asaki Shuzo is pursuing Tandai Karakuchi. I know the word Tandai Karakuchi has already become the most frequent word to express Niigata Sake. However, this may cause misunderstanding. It would sound like all of the Niigata Sake products all, you know, just crisp and dry. I mean, raw materials can be easily obtained from other prefectures these days. And so if we want, we can make rich taste of sake by using rice from other prefectures. Uh, each variety also has their own way and they are making the one that is very fragrant or even fruity side. Therefore, tandai karakuchi shouldn't be only one word to express niigata sake. Apart from whether it is dry or not, there has been increasing the use of the word niigata tandei. Almost all the brewery uses soft water in niigata, and they conduct a small fermentation affected by cold winter, which makes sake texture very refined and smooth. So I think that would be more suitable for the current niigata sake to describe as niigata tandei. Ine, I like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot better. I really do. I really do. I really do. Because karakuchi, I guess for our listeners, you know, in a way, there really is no such thing yeah. as karai sake. Like it actually doesn't, you know, it's, it's not spicy. It's not hot. It's, it's, it's like the next closest word to yeah. what they're trying to express. Right. And so, and it's that word like karakuchi, it has depending on where you're from and what you grew up drinking or what you're used to drinking, everybody's interpretation of karakuchi is really, really different, right? Like I've, I, I know for me, when I serve sake to people, sometimes they like, oh, I love a, I love a something karakuchi. I say, great. And I serve them something really sweet. And they go, this is amazing. This is the best karakuchi yeah. I've ever had. But it's, it's because they're used for wherever they're from, whatever they were used to drinking. Right, their interpretation mm. of karakuchi yeah. is just very different, right? Because they're a student, but have identifying it, taking the karakuchi out of it, you know, and keeping the tande, which I think is a better mm. expression, right? It, it's, it's sort of that it focuses more on the clarity and 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 that yeah. that clean profile, mm. and then attaching nigata to it. I actually I and like also, that a lot. You know, like really... so many Japanese people don't know about the the tande karakuchi itself, you know, like. Then, yeah. you know, that would be, you know, so many possibilities that the foreign people, they don't know about dry 
and just, you know, clean, you know, it is so hard to explain. So that is why it should be, you know, another word to express our great sake. Yeah, I like that a lot. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> very nice, <laughs> very nice, very nice. I, I guess kind of where does Kubota fit into that, in, into that style? Do those generally fall into the Niigata Tande category? Would you? Would you? Uh, for us, we are pursuing pursuing yeah, for you Tande yeah. Karakuchi because you know, like you know, yeah. For example, like Kubota Senju is a really you know the basic mm. in the center of the Tande Karakuchi. That's what I believe. So yeah, we follow the okay. basic core, a uh, basic characteristic of a Tande Karakuchi. So. We, our product would be described as Tandai Karakuchi, but still there are so many excellent sake products in Niigata Prefecture, I mean. And then, yeah, yeah and then absolutely. considering of that kind of, you know, this variety of Niigata sake these days, and then it should be, you know, used for Niigata Tandai. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I want to let's I want to take a step back a little bit and kind of revisit. Um, so we kind of we understand a little bit about Niigata, the place. Um, we sort of touched upon the styles that's developed there. We've talked a little bit about the toji. Um, the other thing you mentioned um, as being sort of a critical factor in developing these styles that are unique to Niigata are the institutions that have been developed um, over the past um, several decades that we've. It seems have been, I mean, they were, when those things were introduced, they were relatively new. Nowadays, you hear about other regions that are finding success and it's been through collaboration and information sharing. Um, but Niigata seems to have been doing that for quite some time. You mentioned the, the sake brewing school and, and things of that nature. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about sort of the, um, the different institutions and um, that promote sort of that development of technical skills and sort of um, help me understand a little bit how that information sharing process works. Yes, yes. And um, I, I think the Nikada Sake School I mentioned earlier is a really rare organization. Although the school is run by the Nikada Prefecture Sake Brewery Association, there are no full-time instructors. Actually, the instructors are staff from each brewery and give instructions in turn. They generously teach their skills to the students of mid-career brewers for free. I mean, you hear about information sharing happening amongst breweries a bit more, but to actually have a place where, you know, different breweries are providing not just the knowledge, but the people um, regularly to share that is, is, is pretty yes. great. Yes. And uh, I understand that good Japanese sake cannot be made by just what you learn from school or adjusting numerical value. Each brewery definitely has their own craftsmanship, and this could give depth to sake. But at the same time, Nikata sake industry has a willingness to share what they have gained instead of keeping it of their own. That is why Nikata sake is getting more recognized and establishing its brand. In addition to the Niigata Sake School, there are also some other study groups in the prefecture, including cross-company information exchange. And we are energetically engaging in activities such as presentations of research projects of each sake brewery, lectures for the specific topics, and the general information exchange. In this way, the sake brewing industry takes the lead in organizing small-scale sake breweries with a volunteer spirit, and they can compete with each other in a good way, which I think is the biggest characteristic of Niigata sake breweries. Yeah, you know, you mentioned different breweries providing people and staff to work as, yeah. you know, instructors and to, and to work and share there. Um, you know, different breweries obviously have different amounts of resources and people, right? There are small breweries that only have maybe five or six people and maybe can't, don't have the resources to share people quite so much. Is there, do you know if they are able to sort of balance that so that are, are smaller breweries able to 
take part and share information alongside the, the other larger breweries? Is that, do you have any ideas to sort of what that relationship is like? I think the, the instructor are many from the middle or large scale breweries in Niigata. And the small breweries can send their brewers to learn and to exchange this information and knowledge there. Excellent, excellent. I guess then that gives them and the the larger breweries an opportunity to see what the what the smaller guys are doing as well too. So as long as that remains a place for you know for for sharing, then that's and that's I mean that's a great opportunity for everybody. Yes. What's what's sort of the you talk, we talked about the Toji guilds a little bit earlier. What's sort of the relationship then between say the Echigo Toji Guild and then these technical development centers? Do those do those have any relationship? And is that sort of what's helping to prop up the large number of producers that we have in Niigata today? I'm sort of curious if, if there's something happening there. We have about 90 breweries here in Niigata. And as a whole, they are quite high level in skills for sake brewery. So we have annual sake events in Niigata, one of the biggest in Japan called Niigata Sake no Jin, Niigata Sake Festival. More than 80 breweries joined there. Last time in 2019, the number of visitors exceeded 140,000 from domestic and foreign countries. We saw so many smiley and happy faces. And customers said, Nikata is amazing. So many sake breweries and products, and they are all delicious. I think this is the true voice of our customers. The annual consumption of sake products in Nikata Prefecture is the highest in Japan. It's 14.3 liters, which is roughly about 2.5 times as much as the volume of the national average. So I think it means that sake is a part of our lives here. You mentioned events like Sake no Jin, which for our listeners who don't know is, is a massive, massive two-day event that happens annually. There's tens of thousands of people that, you know, that travel to Niigata for that. Um, you know, Niigata yeah. is known for being relatively proactive in, you know, sharing information or hosting events and being relatively collaborative in that sense. And there are a lot of Niigata sake events and things happening that are pretty iconic within the industry. What's, I'm curious, you know, the last couple of years, you know, obviously has, I think, probably been a challenge for a, a lot of breweries um, with just the way of the world and, and everything is you know, is Niigata as a whole, are there new sort of collaborative projects or efforts or events or anything's hap happening that um, the, the breweries are sort of collectively working on to try and keep momentum and, and support these, these breweries in sort of these, these challenging times? As I heard, and the Niigata government, Niigata prefecture government and the JETLO of Japanese government, and they have some online promotion event to, to promote more Japanese sake to the world through the internet. And also they have some YouTube channels. I think they did a lot of things like that to, to meet the new change of time. And they, I think they, they have did as well, and we sometimes we participate into the promotion event also, like uh, online seminars or online um, online exhibition of sake in the last two yeah. years. Actually, I, I I took part and I saw a few uh, Asahi Shuzo Brewery online sessions. You were you were relatively proactive over the last two years. I mean, pretty early on when when things got difficult, you were all pretty proactive about getting some pretty yeah high quality productions and oh, brewery tour is up, I noticed. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how's that experience been? Has it been, has it been fun, challenging? Any, any interesting things learned uh, or you mean that experience? In, in the past two years, right? Uh, yeah, the, for the first Yeah, just, yeah, in sort of adapting and we have no idea to online what to do, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, absolutely. we are just, uh, try to, uh, to tell our story, you know, to the, the many customers as possible. And then we just prepared everything in 
we're coming in one team. And then finally, we just did what we could do at the time. And then the Nagamoto-san and the other team members are also amazing. They are really cooperative. And then, yeah, we just try to keep doing it. And actually, this is yeah. one of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So we are really happy. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're 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 lucky to have you. And actually, I'm I'm excited to. I, I said well, next we'll we'll dig deeper into sort of Kubota and sort of how that came about and where Kubota fits into the context of all this Niigata sake and the things that you've been working on. So I'm excited to get into into that here uh, for round two. Um, so this is kind of this kind of works as kind of a nice segue um, to, to bring us in there. Cause there's, I know, I know you have all been very proactive the last, the last couple of years. So I'm curious to see how, how the last several decades sort of ties into these last couple of years and sort of where things are, are going from here. So excellent. Excellent. Well, I will, you know, Hi. Ito-san, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, I appreciate it. And I am excited for, um, part two here, uh, coming up very shortly and today, a little bit deeper into the world of Kubota. Thank you. So, thank you very, thank you very much. much. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you again here soon. We also looking forward to meet you soon. No, I got to get up there. I said, no, there's, it's kind of, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mess here these days, isn't it? Yeah. As soon as this, as soon as this little, little, this madness dies down a little bit, I'll be up there very soon. So, <laughs> excellent. All right. Well, you, you both have a, have a great uh, morning and week. Thank and we'll you. Talk to you Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And that will wrap it up for this episode of Sake on Air. As always, you can follow along with us and our shenanigans over here at the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you'd be so kind, you can also go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever it is that you are enjoying this podcast on. Any additional comments or questions or anything else can be sent to us at questions at sakeonair.com. Sake on Air is made possible with the generous support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in the heart of Tokyo. The show is a co-production between Export Japan and Potscape Productions. We will be back with the continuation of this episode in a very short time, actually. You'll probably be hearing from us even sooner than normal. So until then, kanpai! <laughs>